This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Kia ora and welcome to Reserved Recommendations. This is a show about great trash, difficult art and our complicated relationships with art and culture. My name's Hugh, I'm the host of the show and I'd like to take this opportunity to put in a very mild content warning for the show as a whole. Sometimes our recommendations on this show are reserved just because the thing that we're discussing is in some way not good, but sometimes there are aspects of the art or artist that may be confronting for some people. Check the episode descriptions for more information and do be aware of your listening environment. Kia ora, editing Hugh from the future here. Uh, this episode we had a couple of audio issues with Google Meet. It just dropped some audio every so often. Uh, it shouldn't be too disruptive. John doesn't like robot out for an extended period or anything like that. It's just every so often you're going to lose maybe a word or half a word. I was really enjoying the conversation so I didn't want to stop and like mess around and try and sort things out. I thought it was best just to let you know about it up front. So if you hear that, there are no problems with your equipment. Do not adjust your set. It's just the way that Google Meets decided to be on this particular day. And right now, on with the show. This evening, I am talking to John. Oh, now I forgot to check how to pronounce your surname. I would say Cecil, but um, sometimes Americans say Cecil. Americans are wrong. Right. Okay. John Cecil. Now, uh, the reason that we're talking is because I was exceptionally cheeky on Blue Sky. Basically, um, <laughs> I, I chipped in on a, a thread uh, which was started by a guy whose podcast I really like, a guy called Andrew uh, Hickey, um, who's talking about his podcast, uh, The History of Rock Music in 500 Songs. And I mentioned that I had attempted to talk to uh, my friend Michael uh, about the Grateful Dead for an hour on this podcast here, and we we comprehensively failed because there's far too much to talk about. And you said, "Oh, we could. I, you, I have much easier time because because my my thing would be the Misfits, and there's it's, it's, it's much less complicated." So I, I very cheekily asked if you would come on and talk about the Misfits because, like. They're adjacent to a bunch of stuff that I've listened to, but they were never a band I really got into. Um, yeah. Do you do you maybe want to like I guess start off by like giving giving the nutshell pitch for for the Misfits because you did quite a good one when we were kind of chatting about how this how this episode might go. I appreciate you saying so. The um, the Misfits. If I was going to give like an elevator pitch. For the misfits, I would. Oh wow, how would I describe them? You know what's what? Not just chronologically, but also sonically, tonally. If you like uh, '60s girl groups, Phil Spector, The Ronettes, Be My Baby. Let's do The Ronettes, Be My Baby. And you like uh, '80s into the '90s thrash metal. Let's take Inter Sandman. Uh, so Be My Baby and Inter Sandman. There's a line between those two, and right in the middle is the misfits. See what I'm saying? Like, like they have one foot in girl groups and one foot in Metallica. Um, and that's, that's the shortest way I would say to, to someone who hadn't heard them, someone who has heard them, I would, I would hope would not <laughs> agree with that assessment. Um, 
I mean, the other the other dot that you joined uh, when you were describing what I was going to be experiencing when I when I let Spotify just play me Misfits, and then eventually mm-hmm. I got it to play me some Danzig as well for reasons that yeah. we'll get into. But um, the other dot jo- the other dot that I would join would be to the Ramones um, because yes. a lot yeah. of the I'm, I'm guessing it's earlier stuff. Spotify doesn't really organize that thing, things that way when you listen to playlists. But right. a, a lot of it had that like uh, three chords straight ahead, mm-hmm. all downstrokes on the guitar, um, that yeah. really specific Ramones guitar tone with just like yeah. all of the treble and distortion that's starting to create overtones by itself. Like it's yeah. very much like that. Only a guy who sounds like Elvis is singing about murder. That's a very, I would, it's, it would be really hard to talk about the misfits and not bring the Ramones up. You, you would, you would have to try um, intentionally to do that. And it would be difficult because it's, it's very, very obvious that the, the, the Ramones were the single biggest influence musically on them, on the style of songs, as you say, three chord rock, real simple, very catchy, um, uh, there, there might be a guitar solo in one or two Ramon songs. There might be a guitar solo in one or two Misfit songs, although I kind of doubt that. I'm not thinking of any. No solos, just uh, verse, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, 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 end, you know. Um, <clears throat> three chords, a lot of whoa, whoa, whoa's. The singer, Glenn Danzig, um, Ironically, I will put him in probably like the, the, the top five male vocalists. He's, he is a phenomenal voice. Um, and he writes really catchy music. His lyrics, I think I said to you, they struggle to reach the definition of idiotic, <laughs> but they, uh, and, and, and I'm fine with that. Uh, that that's, uh, that doesn't bother me at all, but it, just a terrific singer with his band Danzig. The production is so much better that you, you can kind of hear him better. It's not grainy and echoey and like all that misfit stuff from the, the Danzig era misfits from the seventies and eighties. They sound like they were recorded on a boom box in his garage. And some of them may very well have been, but famously they, um, they 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 got access to a recording studio. Did you did you do any looking? Yeah, into this I, I basically I I, I uh, read the Wikipedia article while I was yeah. um, while I was listening to the to the playlists, and so yeah, I, I vaguely remember that. And that's actually like that's uh, that's a major step in their favor in in practical terms of like being able to have a musical presence at the point when they're doing stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They, um, well, to, to, to the history of the band, Glenn Danzig wants to be in a band. He wants to be in a rock and roll band. He, um, <clears throat> went to, uh, he, he grew up in a town, which is about maybe a half hour, 45 minutes outside Manhattan. Um, so like right outside the city, but in the suburbs, which to me is, is, is germane because, you know, country music feels, rural and hip hop music feels urban, even if the people making it aren't necessarily those things, the, the, those genres lend themselves to just feeling that way. The misfits to me just feel so goddamn suburban. They, it, it's, it's what suburban white troublemaker kids think about horror movies and comic books and stuff like that. And the, 
the the arrogance to think that they're good enough when they just objectively are not <laughs> um and, and just with with just willpower forcing it you know uh is a very suburban attitude um but he's right outside New York. And then he, for college, he goes to uh, Tisch, which is the art school associated with NYU. So I don't know because you know, his family lives, I don't know, from, from downtown Manhattan. He probably lives an hour away from here. I don't know if he lived on campus or not or in off-campus housing down in, I don't know how familiar you are with the, the lower Manhattan. Like, but, um... yeah, NYU owns a lot of apartments down there. Uh, I don't know if he lived there or if he lived with his parents back in Lodi. I don't know. Either way, he was in class all day. He was about six blocks away from CBGB's and about eight blocks away from Max's Kansas City, which were the two places where all these bands that say I can draw a line from the Ramones. I can draw a line from the cramps. Although the, the, the cramps are so, um, so, so shortly before the misfits that, that I, they probably actually weren't an influence. Interestingly, although they really feel like they would have been, they, they, they just weren't uh, around long enough. Um, but Alice Cooper was playing at Max's Kansas city all the time. And I would say like, if you take the Ramones and Alice Cooper and combine them in, in a, in a, you know, Brundle fly machine, Glenn Danzig would hop out, you know. Um, <laughs> the interesting thing about that, and and the thing that really struck me when I was when I was listening to the playlists, and and this is why I went on to listen to Danzig because I was interested in like how the how the progression went was like a lot of the music that I've listened to in the past that deals in like horror movie levels of of mm -hmm. like gore and violence and and science fiction weirdness and all that stuff it's often quite um technical you know like often yeah. often metal will be you know they'll yeah. they'll have these like more complex riffs mm -hmm. they'll like lean a lot into like and now we'll stop the riff and we'll have like a big atmospheric reverb sound and someone will go right and yeah. death comes now yeah. <laughs> or something like, yeah. there'll be all of these dynamics and and different ways yeah. of kind of theatrically uh embracing the mood of the lyrics but the misfits don't really do that you know like they're no. doing all of those uh all of those themes lyrically but mm. you're listening essentially for a lot of it to the ramones who yeah like the Ramones self-consciously or self-awarely write songs about like sniffing glue and mm -hmm. getting into stupid fights and, and sometimes just yeah. straightforwardly about rock and roll, which seems yeah. more, um, more congruent with the sound they're making than what the Misfits are doing, uh, which is why I was interested in whether like Danzig was going to be this shift into something more metal adjacent and kind of sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's an interesting observation and it's a correct one. I hadn't made it myself. Um, shock rock had existed before the misfits, but not a lot. I know Alice Cooper is the big one. I don't know if King diamond predates the misfits or not. I, I, I suspect they don't, but I, I'm not sure about that. Screaming Jay Hawkins does. Um, oh, but again, but like Screaming Jay Hawkins sounds unhinged, you know, like yeah. he sounds like a man undergoing a werewolf transformation in the vocal right. booth. Um, and, and Glenn yeah. Danzig sounds like, like you say, he's got 
straightforwardly a conventionally really good singing voice. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, the, the Misfits definitely cemented horror in rock and roll. And then I think the thrash guys and the death metal guys took it, took that football and ran with it, you know, um, in, in, a, in a way that Danzig's um, band wasn't able to do because they were not technically great. Um, the Ramones, you know, you get to a point, if you listen to this stuff enough, you start to notice, oh, this song is about how great rock and roll is, or it's a love song about a chick. Joey wrote this one. Oh, this one's about like um, you know, sniffing glue. Dee Dee wrote this one. You know, you can get to that point. They, But musically, I think they were all on the same page and they wanted to be a Phil Spector girl group. You know, as weird as that may sound, it's like the reason the guitars are like that is because they could, no one can play horns. So we can make the guitar sound do this, right? Oh, and they, the you know, they stop in um, I Want to Be Sedated and do a ba-ba-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da. Like, you know, they are they are straightforwardly writing, like, three-minute type pop songs. Yeah. The Misfits want to be the Ramones. See what I'm saying? So, like, but they don't care about that girl group stuff, really. They just like the idea of the fast guitars. Um, their first couple songs were horror-ish. I think the a, a song called Return of the Fly, which is basically just going through the, the opening cr- credits. It's just the Return of the Fly starring Vincent Price. That is before they really lean into this stuff. But when you see pictures of them from this period, they kind of look like, you know, the, the non-Sid Vicious Sex Pistols. You know, kind of kind of ratty, like Steve Jones you know just kind of ratty looking but not nothing too too weird after i think it's uh, around the walk among us uh, album that's when the uniforms and the hair and the makeup and the stage show start um which and at that point it's just like now this is what they're doing they're the only ones doing it at that point in time dressing up as skeletons and shit like that and they they got a whole new audience and um, of disaffected suburban kids of which I kind of was, I, I'm, I came in really late. They had broken up before I uh, uh, discovered them myself. I'm a little bit too, too young, unfortunately to have been there in the early years. Um, uh, as far as those guitars go, Danzig was, he played keyboards at first. They, they had a, they had a, a keyboard that they would bring up and he would play keyboards. And I don't think, I don't think they even had a guitarist at first. Uh, and then he wanted, I think, I think he saw the Ramones and was like, let's do that instead. And I, I sometimes I'll think about how if in 77 he was doing keyboard synth stuff with the same kinds of chords and lyrics, you know, um, Gary Newman wasn't too far after this. Devo wasn't too far after this. That band Suicide, they had a key, they had keyboards. Like there's a world where you can see the Misfits be going in a more poppy gothy direction yeah yeah because uh, that's the other thing right like uh the other place that you would find all of those all of that kind of er- imagery would be in in goth stuff and goth yeah. stuff uh you know some of it has the kind of like thin gnarly punk guitars but a lot mm-hmm. of it has you know big synth textures and a lot of space right yeah and there's it's not like there's a butterfly effect world, you know, where that's where the misfits end up. The damned 
started off as more like really hard rock. And then by the eighties, they're, you know, a kiss on the graveyard type stuff, you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, and, and Danzig's voice would kind of have been perfect. Oh, for it that. Would absolutely. He would kill at that. He would, he would kill at that. But he had, you know, I think when he was a little kid, he liked black Sabbath too much. He wanted to be in a rock and roll band singing about the devil, you know? <laughs> um, so like side points, uh, people talk a lot about black Sabbath and the devil. If you stop and listen to the lyrics, particularly earlier Black Sabbath, is very Christian. You know, I, I, they mention the devil, ha- but they're like, the devil's going to get you because you've been bad in this specific way that Ozzy will now lay out for you. You and I met as fans of a podcaster. There's another podcast called Your Favorite Band Sucks. Um, That's I don't Tyler Mahan Co., right? The, the cocaine is. and rhinestones guy. cocaine and rhinestones guy, yeah. He has another one where he talks shit about rock and roll bands. And- Black Sabbath, and he pointed out that it's Christian rock, and um, <laughs> and it's kind of like, oh yeah, it kind of is, isn't it? It's like the devil's never the good guy in these songs. <laughs> no, no, um, nor even an especially cool guy. Right? Yeah, exactly. So you're not wrong about that. Um, with the, with the Misfits, what was the? Oh, sorry, we're talking about like how. Um, there was a there's kind of an alternate universe where they they could have been like Ended up a goth band. new, new right, that, wave I, or goth yeah two or three things happened differently but i know he um i think the bassist jerry only lived across the street from him in new jersey and got a bass guitar for christmas didn't know how to play it but had it in the back seat of his car glenn sees the bass there goes over, knocks on the door and says, hey, man, you want to be in my band? And uh, was, I think I did a really good Glenn Danzig impression there. Um, and so and I think it was him who was like, let's play fast guitar songs, I think. And history was made. Um, they recorded some stuff. They put it out on a label that Glenn Danzig owned called Blank Records, Mercury Records, wanted to get into the punk rock game and they wanted to have their, a, a sub label uh, called blank records that they wanted to put punk rock bands on and couldn't because this kid in New Jersey, some 19, 20 year old kid owns the name. So they offers him 30 hours of studio time in a New York studio. Um, if he gives them the name, he says, yes, they go and they hammer out 17 songs. You can tell. Um, I don't know if, I don't know who mixed this. I don't know. When I learned this story that these songs had been recorded in an actual studio, it blew my mind because they sound like a garage band with with a with a with a one track tape record. It it it's crazy that these were recorded in an actual place. I have no explanation for this. I my, well, the I mean, explanation is that it, it, Mercury, Mercury didn't give them a technician. You know, yeah, or, um, or they gave but, them like you can have uh, tape up. You know, like you get. Um, whoever, yeah. whoever's the most junior staff member who gets the shit work right. is, is who you get. Um, and you right. certainly do not get a producer to say, uh, to tell that person whether or not they should change anything. Yeah. Um, but they got, they got their songs. Um, they got the songs. They thought Mercury would then release it. Mercury passed on it. Everyone else passed on it. So they started releasing them as singles. It was supposed to be an album, but they couldn't afford to do produce an album themselves, but they could, you know, work their jobs at a, I think a car repair store. I think a yeah, TV I think that's, store. that's Jerry only and, and his brother yeah. worked at a mechanic. Yeah, yeah. A car and an auto mechanics. Yeah. And they look at, 
And Glenn Danzig, I think he worked as a TV repairman during the day and then would take their money. And I think they lived with their parents and they would press records like like they would press records and uh, mail them out to their fans, like in the mail. Um, and then I, I, I looked this up because I wanted to know what year it was. That album that they made in 1977 was, was called Static Age. And I... I keep finding that it was actually eventually released in 1990. I remember it that way. I remember that coming out in the early 2000s. I, 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 but everywhere I looked, it said it came out in 96. So who knows? It was, it was, you know, the early days of the internet. Maybe I just was unaware of it, but, um, and it's, 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 you know, it sounds like crap, but it's great. And it's, I just love those songs. Um, and then, Around then, I think is yeah. Then the next album would have been Walk Among Us, and that's when they got into the leather spikes and the haircut that we all like. If you know, mm. if you're familiar with the misfits, you know what the haircut is: the devil lock haircut, where you just pull your bangs down. Like yeah, you you do kind of like <laughs> the you do the kind of like the Elvis pompadour, but so much that it hangs down in a giant spike I mean, in right, front of your like face. One, right, one giant spike hanging in front of your face, and like like they all had that haircut. Um, they they really they, they I said before they are they had some songs about horror movies and stuff like that. Now that's what they do. There are no more songs about chicks or cars. There every song is about a horror movie. The only song about a chick now is about like the the TV host Vampira. <laughs> um, and then this is also where they come out with the logo. Um, I don't have a Misfits shirt at present. Uh, I mo- for most of my life I've owned at least one, um, and I just don't have one right now. Um, but it's that it's uh, that uh, skeleton. It's like that skull face wearing a sort of a skull, hood. The, yeah, the skull face. If you have gone to a punk rock show at any point anywhere on the planet, the Ramones logo shirt, and you have seen the Crimson Ghost skull face. It's got to be the second most ubiquitous shirt at punk rock shows and that logo i would argue is in the top five with like the the ramones logo the uh, rolling stones lips um band logos i mean it's, it's got to be in the top five i can't oh, I'm absolutely to... because it's so um it's so consistent and it's so recognizable and and it's so kind of mimetic you know like there yeah. are there are some other like good looking band logos, but they're either not uh, applied that consistently, like the Grateful Dead um, lightning bolt in the skull. Like that one's cool, but even the dead never actually used it that consistently. So it it didn't quite have the same thing. Um, And uh, I'm trying to think of another example, but you know, yeah, absolutely. There, There are fewer than you'd think. I was thinking about this, like making notes for this, podcast and i was like trying to think of other band logos that are like you know you, you see them all over the place i, I live in manhattan and uh, i'm not too far away from a middle school and sometimes i'll be walking and the middle school will get out and middle school students will come out and there are kids today in middle school 13 14 year old kids with that fucking shirt it's insane and, and it's, it's crazy about- Kids I, today look this, and I, I, and I could, understand. That. I could see that being perfect, though, right? Like in in the yeah. kind of in the same way as the the two thousands pop punk is is mm-hmm. challen- channels a certain adolescent, particularly adolescent male thing. Mm-hmm. Misfits yeah. does the same thing. You're right; it's really suburban music. I would say that they're one of the, this is this is tough because I was not around for it when they came out. 
but I feel like they were one of the first that really hit that thing that you're talking about specifically. I listened to the one. I, I, was it the last one that you did? It was on Blink One Eighty Two? Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Possibly not by now. No. Uh, okay. But it was the last one I did last year before I took a break over the holidays. Okay. And because you guys touched on this a little bit, I, I believe your guest m- mentioned he, he's at one point he said silly and serious. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. First of all, the misfits have no sense of humor about this. They are serious about this, which just makes it even sillier. Um, but there's this thing where, where that is very suburban, which is like, and it's probably because you're so protected from things in the suburbs that you the offensive humor. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Like the the whole edge lord yeah. phenomenon. Yeah, right. And I was, I'm the same age as like the guys who make, I'm sorry, I live near a bunch of hospitals. Uh, Those are not cops. Those are uh, ambulances. Um, South Park, the cartoon Mm -hmm. South Park, when I was uh, in college, I'm the same age as those guys. And that sense of humor, that is like, that's the suburban white boy sense of humor, right? There was a band at around that same time in the mid nineties called the Bloodhound Gang. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really just childish songs, right? But like trying to be funny. But if you if you rewind 15 years, how funny would that same kid have been? Would that same kid who in the mid 90s is like laughing at South Park and the Bloodhound Gang songs, would they have been into old horror movies? Because because even, you know, in the 70s, the horror movies that they're talking about are 15, 16 years old. They're old by that point. And it's it's I. I I don't know because when you when it was it was your podcast on pop punk that made me think about that because a few years later, a lot of like the cruelty comes out of it. Like yeah. Blink One Eighty Two, Green Day, the um, and even getting into emo stuff like My Chemical Romance and stuff. There is not a aggression that seems mean spirited in those things. It's yeah. all aimed inward, maybe because <laughs> some of the like some of the. Uh, Misfits lyrics are quite like I would I would have a hard time recommending that people pay, pay attention to the to the lyrics consciously because songs. yeah it's the one where the chorus comes around to as long as it's death because he's or the refrain That's, because he's the, he's um, glorying and like raping and murdering the the friends and relations of the person he's the, uh, singing the song to the last, the last caress problem is uh, a problem that anyone with a uh, any any decency at all yet likes catchy dumb songs is going to have the other one is called a bullet which is about the kennedy assassination oh yes and mm-hmm. the, the second, the first half of it is just a description of what's going on in the car. And then the second half of the song is um, m- making demands of Jackie Kennedy with what she should do with the body. And they, they, whatever, whatever, uh, if you've not heard the song, listeners, uh, what you think he's demanding she do is, in fact, what he demands she do. Um, that one is pretty rough. And then um, Last Caress in is... He kills a baby and rapes a woman is what he does in the song and um, brags about not caring about it. It is maybe the catchiest song that has ever been written. It is. I, I really wish those lyrics were different because I love that song. Um, but I, I really don't like those lyrics. 
Um, and yeah, there is a mean spiritedness to all of this stuff that is really hard to justify. And and it's weird, right? Because you said, and I think this is right, that, that these guys don't have much of a sense of humor about it. Like often when, no. um, again, to take the metal example, if you look at, uh, obviously there are exceptions like the scary church birding black metal guys who, right, who yeah, are yeah. serious. But a lot of the no. time what people are doing is they're either trying to channel a genuine emotion that they have and, and heighten it so it becomes extreme, or they're trying to do something that is so extreme that you have to that you have to appreciate it on the level of a horror movie. Like I would not yeah. enjoy watching someone's arms and legs get sawn off in real life. Depending on on the presentation, I might enjoy that in a horror movie because it mm-hmm. could either like cross the line twice into being just goofy and deranged, or it, it mm-hmm. could it could fit the tone of the thing. But like both, all of those stances kind of do require being in on the joke. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I don't have this in my notes, but th- there was that band Guar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, mm-hmm. they are what you just described, but they are they're more in on the joke than you are. They are so in on the joke. And then there is a band at present called Ghost that I'm not really familiar with, but my my nephew was talking to me about at Thanksgiving. Uh, I still I promised I would check them out. I haven't. And I asked, they look ridiculous. Is it good ridiculous or is it bad ridiculous? And he was like, Oh, it's great ridiculous. I know. A very little bit about Ghost, and the best mm-hmm. explanation I can give on the very little bit I know is like, what if Guar had a classier sensibility, and also was like a musical with an ongoing storyline that plays out over all of their albums and concerts? Because they've oh. had like, I think it's the same guy, but playing different lead singers who've been replaced for various reasons to do with like complex occult machinations in the, in the fictional backstory of the band. But it's the same guy playing all the parts. I I think so. Yeah. Uh, Oh, that's, uh, or or it's the same guy as always the lead singer, but he's different characters as the lead singer. I think. Yeah. That's nuts. As opposed to the misfits who have, the singer leave different and he's in different bands. Although they had, there's like three eras of the misfits, the, the classic Danzig era, which is really all we're going to talk about. We're not going to talk about the other stuff because there was another guy, Michael Graves sang for a little bit. And then Jerry only took vocal duties on for a little bit. And then they've been reuniting and, and playing some shows. I I've yet to see them. I've seen the misfits without Danzig and I've seen the band Danzig. So I have seen them both, <laughs> but not together yet. I, I do hope I get to, um, there was, <clears throat> you mentioned the band Sam Hain, in between uh, the band Danzig and the band, the misfits um, of note, mostly because Metallica were huge fans of them. And that, and this is something that I, I wondered in the old days, but I didn't have the internet to tell me, well, how do you pronounce that? Because um, there's a holiday. I think it's a holiday. I might be getting that wrong. Yeah, it's, it's a, a, it's a pagan um, uh, seasonal festival. celebration. Yeah. Yeah. But that's pronounced like Sawan or Sawan or something. Uh, and I, I, I had wondered, are, you know, because all the all us kids in the suburbs are, you know, putting the Sam Hain tape in our Camaros, and are we pronouncing this right? It turns out we are. And I, the, the, he called it, he called his band Sam Hain, 
Probably because he's an idiot. <laughs> I, I think there is a, a rich vine to, uh, vein to mine because there is a thing that you said before we started. Um, we are, however, mm-hmm. at the halfway break, so we're going to take a quick okay. break and we will be back right after this. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.npr.nz forward slash donate. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. You're listening to Reserved Recommendations. This is a radio show and podcast on Manawatu People's Radio, produced with the support of New Zealand On Air, so cheers for that, guys. Today I am talking to uh, John Cecil about the band The Misfits. And just before we uh, took a break, you were saying that, like... In in your opinion, and I I don't think this is a controversial opinion that that Glenn Danzig is not uh, a necessarily like an an intellectual fellow. Um, I, I believe before we hit record, you may have used the words "dumb motherfucker," and like yeah. <laughs> I, I, I I did. Um, I don't know everything about the man, um, but I've been a fan of his music since I was in early high school when I was at a party and I heard some song about uh, zombies from outer space and it sounded like it was Elvis singing. And um, shortly after that, I went to the mall and I couldn't find the album that that was on, but I found another one. And I, on the, you know, my mom was driving me home from the mall and uh, whoa, was on the, was, you know, was coming mm. from the speakers. And I, was, I was just, I was like, okay, this is it. This is, my, this is, this is, this is for me. Um, and always has been. And in the early 1990s, he uh, was in his own band called Danzig, which was more metal than punk. But there was definitely a lot of I mean, the Danzig songs just sound like Misfits songs slowed down mm. uh, and loved that. I loved that band Danzig. And so there was a videotape, a videotape that you could buy and watch. And it was whatever, four or five Danzig videos, and then him being interviewed about things and him walking through his yard or whatever. And in one of them, in one of the, and you, and you can find this online really easily. Just look for a Glenn Danzig book collection in your search engine of choice, and you will find this. He, um, it's, it's him <laughs> sitting next to a shelf with a bunch of books, and he is going through the books that he owns. And while you watch this, some things become evident, and those things are... A, he believes in werewolves. <laughs> yes, yes, excellent. <laughs> Good, I'm on board. He believes that werewolves are real. Mm-hmm. He, um, he seems uh, fascinated by uh, the Third Reich's fascination with the occult. He um, is just taking, he, he's just gleeful talking about like the, anthropo- uh, the, the anthropology of evil um, and all these other things. But I want to go back to what I said uh, what what it is you should search for is not Glenn Danzig Library. It is Glenn Danzig Book Collection because he keeps referring to his book collection as a book collection. And everyone else I've ever met has called it their library. 
which means Glenn Danzig literally doesn't know the word library. <laughs> that, I mean, that's fascinating, right? Because, like, I... I feel like I feel like I have met versions of this guy uh, who oh, yeah, are yeah. who are like inquisitive enough to go and find things out, but credulous enough to just like grab hold of of the first weird idea and and mm-hmm. and dive a hundred percent straight into it, and yeah. like. I can see the appeal of it. I used to, um, until I had a bit of a revelation about how how much uh, you just scratch the paint off and then it's anti-Semitism. But I used mm-hmm. to have a really like uh, a real like spectators glee with conspiracy theories generally, just because I love someone earnestly writing a book about how the world is controlled by holograms or or lizard right. people or they talk to aliens or something. And when I realized it's all either grifts or anti-Semitism or both, I got a bit mm-hmm. sad, but like I can see the appeal of that stuff, but, but that you then land on like, there are werewolves as your, yeah. as your take is, is spectacular. It's uh, amazing. It's, 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 it's amazing. Um, every interview I've seen with him, he either ends up coming across like, the biggest moron you've ever seen or the biggest dickhead you've ever seen. Um, and it's one of those, it's like, God, I want to hate this guy. And then he starts singing and I'm like, oh, I love this guy. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I've called him a dumb motherfucker now a few times. And I'm sure if I'm ever uh, lucky enough to meet him, he'll uh, punch me in my mouth for that. But I mean, he's, uh, he's not a small man. Plenty of footage of him uh, punching people. Hmm. Did you say he's not a small man? Well, Not in terms of like, you know, no, no, general in, in solidity. Oh no, oh, no, he would flatten me, but I think he's about half my height. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the dwarf he, belt, uh, yeah. With, um, in the 90s, uh, he toured with Typo Negative. And oh, there my was goodness, be, seeing him next yeah. to Peter Steele, that would be... He wouldn't, he refused to do promotional shots because Peter Steele was like six foot four, I think. Mm, yeah. Like and uh, Glenn Danzig is not six foot four. He is uh, considerably uh, uh, not that. And so... You know, which I mean, short king, like the, the guy rules. He doesn't need to be six foot four to be an amazing vocalist and a really good frontman and mm. a good businessman. And you can say all these things. He's a fucking asshole and he <laughs> um, believes some really dumb things. But he, a lot can be said for him too. Unfortunately, he apparently is also super um, pissy about um, his height. So. That is a shame. I I was yeah. I guess the the thing that uh came to mind kind of reading a little bit about the band is is cuz I mentioned at the start of this conversation that like there's this sort of uh creative tension in terms of often the kind of themes that they're dealing with go with more sophisticated and atmospheric music mm-hmm. and there, it seemed in reading about the history of the band that there was that kind of personal tension as well between him and Jerry Only because Jerry Only yeah. eventually goes and does like a sort of Christian misfits-ish yeah. thing. I didn't yeah. manage to go and check out Christ the Conqueror, but it sounds yeah. like a thing. Right. Yeah, No, yeah, I, I have just, you know, sort of morbid 
curiosity. Uh, none of them really liked each other that much. I don't think I mean, Jerry and the um, the guitarist uh, Doyle are brothers, so they pro- presumably do have at least some amount of getting along, <clears throat> or they or they know how to disagree in a way that it doesn't mess with their money, you know, because neither of them wants to go be a mechanic again. Um, they went through drummer after drummer after drummer. They they went through guitarists after guitarist after guitarist. The only two, I mean, the only the only person to be in every iteration is the bass player Jerry only, because um, even the singer left. But they all would fight. They they would get into fights with themselves on stage. They fired a drummer on stage during a show at one point. Like it was a very contentious band. They would have members be members for a very short period of time and then get fired. Or be like, I can't work with these assholes and leave. Um, I imagine that has to have come up that if Jerry only had it in him in the early 1990s, so roughly 10 years after Walk Among Us, he's in a Christian rock band with his brother and some other guys, I presume. I, I you know, I went online and listened to some stuff. It sounds more like that, that um, uh, Michael Graves era mm. misfit stuff except the songs are presumably about Jesus, but they're, I mean, you know, <laughs> like they, yeah. they, you could exchange a syllable or two and this would be completely obfuscated. Um, yeah. I, I imagine somebody who, you know, thinks, you know, Hitler wanted to <laughs> raise the devil to take over the world. And the other guy thinking it would be awesome if we played rock songs about Jesus. You'd think they might've thought about that at some point, you know, I, I it's just, uh, it's such a it's such a fascinating um product of this of this brew of like contentious not not that sophisticated personalities working in yeah. tension that that what should come out of it is this music the thing that i i a, a thing that i struggle with is that it is not it, it is it is I, i'm a songwriter it is not difficult to write a simplistic song. It is difficult to write 40 or 50 simple songs, most of which are really good. That's that there's something there. Mm. Okay. And he went to Tish and I do not want to do that thing where, Oh, he, he, well, he went to Harvard. Well, clearly he should, we should put this guy on the Supreme court. I, I, I don't want to do that. But I've known a couple people that went to NYU for various schools, and you know there, there are some Ivy Leagues that the people I've met I'm not that impressed by. I've been somewhat impressed by most NYU people I've met, and he went there. I struggle with this. I'm like, how much of this is a put on? How much of this is an act? How much of it is actually sophisticated? But he knows that I like fast rock and roll songs. I can make money doing fast rock and roll songs. This is what I want to do. I want to sing about, you know, ancient Celtic harvest festivals and the devil and flying saucers. That's what I want to do. I don't want to do songs about, you know, the, the nature of non-existence or whatever the, whatever the fuck sisters of mercy are doing. I, I, this is what I want to do. You know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I guess, and then I'll see it in I'm, just this guy's an idiot. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a bit of like contextual information which makes me think that maybe maybe Danzig is just really into this stuff, which yeah. is the um, the fact I learned in passing that he 
founded a, a comic book company called Verotic, which yeah. is um, for adult-oriented, very violent or very sexual comics. Um, yes. And, and the fact that, like, one of his side hustles is running a company a company that makes really horny really violent comics like that yeah. maybe that's just the thing that he likes along with the werewolves that's, yeah also he um in in the 90s when he started uh, verotic he paid frank verzetta a bunch of money oh my goodness that, yeah uh the death dealer the mm-hmm. famous death dealer you know dorm room poster that a lot of people had uh he, he paid that guy to just do a comic based on that character and uh, I think he wrote it, though. I think I think he wrote it, and Frank drew it. I think, um, and he, and from what I understand, he pays artists well. So, I, <laughs> you know, like you got to give him that too, if that's true. I, I haven't. I didn't. I didn't. I specifically didn't look into that for this uh, because I didn't think it would get brought up. <laughs> uh, I, um, I thought it was like a, a fascinating bit of side information about yeah, Glenn no, Danzig no, it, because it, it does it, it does like complete the picture that that the songs kind of partly fill in for you about like yeah. at the very least his artistic interests if not his personality no he's a big comic book guy he wanted to play Wolverine really badly um, oh, that speaking yeah. of butterfly effect alternate universes the mm-hmm. X-Men movies where we had Danzig instead of Hugh yeah. Jackman play Wolverine. I yeah. don't know if they would be better, but they would be very different. <laughs> They'd be better in some ways, uh, but more at a train wreck rate. Probably. <laughs> uh, but probably worth saying, he's, he's, he was in some Western movie where he's a vampire in the Old West. I have not seen it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I remember when, his, uh, when, he, when he was making those comic books, I... There was one about like an Aztec warrior, Jag- Jaguar God, something like that, that I bought. I like I would like when, when they would come out the next month, I'd be like, oh, good. The next like, that issue is Jaguar God. Um, I think that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> and then and then a few years later, uh, Mel Gibson made a movie called Apocalypto. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. When I when I watched that, I was thinking, did this motherfucker read Jaguar God? Because it kind of seems similar. Oh um, well, that's that's fascinating. I didn't know about that connection. Um, I do, I do recall sure, watching I, I mean, Apocalypto, I'm, and I don't know. I'm it sure was... that it's not. I'm, I'm sure that it's not. But it's, but it's that you know that the, mm. the same setting. Um, but yeah, like you know, muscular dudes in the jungles running around killing each other with hatchets, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I, I guess, like, what it all comes down to is a real fascination with, like the the level of of um of darkness and danger that you can access as a as a suburban kid you know like you're you're unlikely to be in any genuine threat but you can read a lot right. about zombies and vampires and and right. nazi blood rituals and and all of that stuff right. and i think at certain points in the 20th century and and, and not the 20th century too cuz we we can get into the emo bands like the midwestern mm. emo bands is, like literally what it's called because it's so far from any cities, major cities, except Chicago, I guess, um, that it's that, that's suburban too. But again, the, the anger in that is inwardly directed, which is the safest place to, to aim it. So, you know, well done millennials. Like you, you beat my generation. We're my generation are a pack of fucking assholes when it comes to this, because with the, you know, like late boomer generation, the punk rock guys, 
like Glenn Danzig is, 55, I think, is when he's born. It was horror movies and flying saucers and shit like that. And even getting into devil worship. Not, not uh, that, That's not fair. It, it's not devil worship. There, to my knowledge, there are no songs that like, well, no, no. Some of, the, some of those Sam Hain songs <laughs> made something. But the Misfits song specifically, which mm. is what we're talking about, are really more Vincent Price movies and flying saucers and shit like that. Um, with with Generation X in the 90s, our version of, you know, we're safe. We're safe white boys who own cars and have jobs in, in suburban America. Let's let's engage in plausible deniability, racism, homophobia, and sexism. Just like wherever the line is, let's just dance on that line and laugh at South Park and laugh at the Bloodhound Gang and laugh at um, the, all the movies that came out around then that all have like really, in hindsight, questionable like like racial, sexual, and gender politics. I'm and, I'm right at the tail end of that. Uh, so I was born in eighty one. Like the okay, my, yeah. my my development of independent music taste, separate from my parents, is basically starts with getting turned on to Nirvana. That's that's about sure, where it comes sure, in. Sure, 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 sure. And yeah. so my experience of that was like I didn't get so much of the cynical stuff, but I got a lot of the beginnings of the you can't possibly understand mum stuff. Um of course. Which of course, is which yeah. was kind of the flip side of that coin. Uh, uh Nirvana and Green Day are the two that I would say really planted a flag on the opposite side of what I'm talking about. And it is a pure distillation of like, this, this is how we all should have been. We, 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 we should not have been chuckling at the bloodhound gang singing about, I'm going to pretend to be gay to fuck a chick. You know, we should have been saying, no, I'll, I'll wear a dress in public. Fuck you. Like laugh at me then, and, you know, we and, should have been doing the stuff that Kirk Cobain and, and Billy Joe Armstrong were doing. That's like, like, like Nirvana is actually just thinking about it. Like thinking about inventing spectrums and putting bands on different points of them. They exist mm-hmm. on a, f- on, on a, the opposite end of a particular line with the misfits where the misfits have these quite stupid lyrics, which are reasonably coherently delivered in this beautiful voice Kurt was doing this thing where he was almost treating lyrics like like paint in an abstract painting. Like yeah. he would pick words because they sounded like the mood he was trying to invoke. So yeah. it, it's nonsense, but it's very suggestive nonsense of a really specific, expressive thing. It, it's I, almost kind of like the, I, the, the, the opposite on that. Anyway, I'm just inventing no, lines really and well positioning things on them. If you make that spectrum an axis and and then put how serious I take this, Kurt Cobain and Glenn Danzig are on the same line there. Mm. But what Glenn Danzig is taking seriously is, you know, Jackie Kennedy should be sucking off her dead husband in a car. And Kurt Cobain is very serious about how th- these words aren't important, but how they make you feel are. And that is more easy to defend. <laughs> um the 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 thing about uh, I I can't remember which one it was was it I mean probably both of them I I bet Green Day and Nirvana both did the thing where they're like if you're homophobic don't don't come oh, that was I don't, I don't want that was life. specifically Nirvana who put it into okay. liner notes um, okay they okay. I forget which album but they they had it in liner notes and they when they got coherent about what songs were about one of the more coherent songs was 
telling that imagined character to fuck off. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, where Glenn Danzig never did anything like that. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like I'm, 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 I'm at that point in my life where I'm looking back and like wondering why did I do these things? Why did I think these things? Why, why did I feel that way? And I can pat myself on the back for a lot of it. I, I, I was, I was to, to use modern terminology. I was, I was pretty woke um, in the eighties and in the nineties, but <laughs> I was not perfect. And I sometimes really cringe at some of the stuff I laughed at and jokes that I made and, uh, and whatnot. But I never, talked about committing rape and killing babies. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm higher up on the, uh, the list of <laughs> <Glenn Danzig>. <laughs> um, Look, thank you very much for talking today. This has been a, a fascinating conversation. It's been really great to, to make your acquaintance face to face, if sure. only over, over Google Meet. Um, I like to do two things by way of, of wrapping up episodes, and we are, we are hitting that time. Um, the first is like, I guess, would you, would you reservations aside, recommend that people go check out, uh, the misfits and Danzig forewarned and forearmed. And, and if they are into that, like goofy horror aesthetic, are there other things that you would also like recommend checking out? Yes, I would, I would across the board, um, recommend to anyone who likes certain things that the misfits and and danzig and and samane should all be on the list of things to check out if you like if you're a younger person than i am and you like my chemical romance check out the misfits because i guarantee you those motherfuckers love the misfits if you like um thrash metal they all worship the misfits if you like and then and then if you like you know original or I hate, I hate these terms, but like, if you like the original, like real punk rock of the sex pistols and the Ramones, the honest truth is you've probably already heard the misfits if you're into that stuff. Uh, but if you like sixties girl groups, if you like rockabilly music, I arguably there's a song called American nightmare that might be the first, uh, um, what's the, what's the term? Psychobilly song. Um, the, uh, there's a lot of that in there too. If you like the doors, if you like Elvis Presley, if you like Roy Orbison or Johnny Cash, you might find something probably more in Danzig, the band Danzig than the misfits. Cause the misfits is, is, you know, brutal, hard, fast stuff. And the Danzig stuff is more melodic, hard rock. Um, you would like all those things, I think, or you, you would like those bands if you're into those things. If you find the misfits, find Danzig and are like, I just love this this combination of hard rock or even even just just rock in general and uh and horror look into the cramps first and foremost that's the that's the next band if you like the misfits go to the cramps um the cramps the cramps are interesting and and we didn't really talk about them but they're interesting because partly like the the central relationship there is rock solid because mm-hmm. they're married or they were married they were. And, until yeah. Lux and Terrier right. died. Um, yeah. But also like they, they lock into this aesthetic in the same way that the misfits, like it's a different aesthetic, but they lock into something in the same way the misfits Absolutely. do, but they, yeah. they refine and polish and build on it over time in a, in a more different, a more, more um, complicated way. 
She, uh, Poison Ivy, is a better guitarist than any of the Misfits were at their instrument, save the vocalist. Lux Interior is not as good a vocalist as Glenn Danzig, but you cannot take your eyes off this dude. He's he's a great front man. No, he's he's like one of the case studies in in making maximal use of a limited instrument. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely. I have a a a provocative um, position, I assume, sometimes, which is to state that, like, for the idea of so bad there's good, there's also a a corresponding so good it becomes bad, and I I think like the cramps are the perfect guides to like avoiding that. You know, like they they would have possibly been a weaker band with a stronger vocalist. I that that I can see that I, I can see that. Um, crucially, they're in on the joke in a way that the Misfits aren't. They 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 are goofing around. They're not you know like Vincent Price is scary. They're not they're not doing that. They're doing hey isn't Vincent Price cool you know and um, and also like hornier than the Misfits in a oh, God. in a positive oh, way. Jesus. I don't think any of those songs aside from the one rape is is even No, and that's even, not even horny. It's more like I'm, I'm going to say a bunch of gross stuff to a catchy in, melody in, and freak in, you out. Right, involving involving women even mm. except for Vampira and the mother in Last Caress. I'm trying to think of like it's it, it's it's all aliens and skeletons and zombies and shit like that. <laughs> and Jackie <Jenny Kennedy. laughs> Yeah, again, again, sort of disqualified. Um, finally, finally, do you have things to plug? If so, please plug them. Insofar as it will do you good on provincial I, I, access you know, media. I, I wrote a play that ran uh, about six, seven months ago now. Uh, so I actually don't have anything to plug. But my play was called Zombie Beach the Musical. There's a website, mm-hmm. Zombie Beach the Musical. Uh, and uh, we are trying to find a new home for it. So if anyone can help me with that, that'd be fantastic. It is like, and you did not know this listener. He did not know this when he asked this, it is heavily based on the uh, walk among us album by the misfits. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for talking. I'm going to give a side plug to the person who inadvertently brought us together to have this conversation. You should check out Andrew Hickey's history of rock music and 500 songs. It is fascinating and exhaustive and he spends a long time digging into the kind of girl pop that is much, 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 much more influential than you think it is on music that I yeah. guarantee that you like, including the Ramones and by extension, the Misfits. Um, yeah. So so check that out as well. Um, thank you again for talking, John. Thank you, Hugh. You've been listening to Reserved Recommendations, a radio show and podcast from Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irirangi o Tangata o Manawatu. The show was produced and presented by me, Hugh Dingwall, and I also composed our theme music. It's called Sack Jazz, and you can find it at wolfboy.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not go ahead and share it with a friend? You can find the last 10 episodes at npr.nz slash show slash reserved, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you want an episode older than that, try searching for Reserved Recommendations on YouTube. 
You can find me on Twitter at Objective Realty, or you can follow the show on Facebook. And finally, Two People's Radio is a non-profit community access station. If you like this or any other piece of their fine audio programming, why not fling them a dollar or two? You can go to npr.nz slash donate for more information on how to do that. 